Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. everybody welcome back to another week of chasing frets and i'm here this week with andy ellis yo all and uh, this week is a special week for both andy and i because we get to talk to one of our favorite guitar not only guitar players but just people to talk to and that's ben harper and uh and so today's episode we're gonna you know his history with the lap steel has been has been well documented and so today we took it from the angle from his new record which is winter is for lovers which is a solo lap steel record, and uh, which just him on a, on a new instrument, a Monteleone uh, built uh, instrument. And he's been telling me about this for a couple years now. That the guy, he's like, Jason, I got this instrument coming, man. Wait till you see it. Wait till you see it. <laughs> and it finally, it finally showed up. And and he decided to record a whole album of just solo lap steel guitar. And we get the backstory, which I'm not going to reveal. You should listen to the podcast. But. There is a shadow record. Yes, <laughs> uh, there's a secret side to this this whole project that uh, that thankfully he he did. I will let out that we'll see that people will be able to hear. Yeah. Because um, after he told the story behind it, yeah. I was just in the back of my mind. I was thinking, please don't just put that on the shelf for the box set in 30 years or whatever, you mm. know. And uh, but it, it it will come out, and I'll let we'll let Ben tell that story right on so uh so thanks again for joining us you can re- hit us up at chasing frets at premierguitar.com and uh so let's uh, this is going to be a real fun week for us so let's dig into the first episode with ben harper all right ben thank you so much for joining us today on chasing frets how you doing man I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. And I'm here with Andy again, your old buddy. Hello, Ben. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys. And uh, so today's episode, we want to, uh, we know you have a, you've been telling me about this record for maybe over a year now. He's like, Jason, I got this guitar coming. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be the basis for this record. And I was so happy when I finally got a copy of it. And I can't really think, there's very few artists and musicians who are as closely tied to a real specific instrument than you are with with the Weizenborn or the lap steel uh, instrument, fair enough, fair and enough. do you find that that is the best representation of your voice as an artist? Is that instrument, and, and how do you view it? Along the lines of the lap steel, I'd like to think that I would have that my voice is the lap steel. The Weizenborn was the strongest representation of it for me at an early age, and I locked into it, and I saw some cats playing it early on that just completely bowled me over so i gravitated towards it with a purpose 
but I'd like to think if it was if my only option was a square neck plywood sunburst Stella from the 1940s, I would be finding mm. my voice there. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's more about the style of playing than it is the instrument. However, I've unturned any and every stone in reaching. I am, I feel privileged that I've had an opportunity to go on a sonic exploration and where that has taken me and the people I've met through it. And because I've had the ways and means, I've never compromised in reaching for the tone that I hear in, in the in the depths of my soul. This This new record, Winter is for Lovers, when I first heard it, which was just the advance a few days ago, I went, wow, this is intimate. It sounded to me the way I'm imagining, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn this into a question, but it sounded to me the way I'm imagining what it's like if Ben is sitting by himself late at night, early in the morning, whenever it is that you get a modicum of private time with your instrument. Yeah. And here's yeah. this sound coming out. There's no band. There's no booming bass. There's no rock and roll. There's this sound of Ben talking to the ethers, I don't know, with with his guitar. When did you compose these tunes? I love you. Yeah. You know how much respect I have for you guys. And, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. I've been composing these tunes my entire adult life. I've been working this record. I've been putting pieces away. And every once in a while, I'll fill a space on a record with one and go back to writing them and and putting them away for the time that I was planning on making a lap steel record. So in, since my since my mid no, right. late 20s, do, 20s. Do you document them like, you know, just do a scratch recording so you can keep track of them over this period of time? Or, or are they all just in your head? I had always had, I, I once one would be completed, I would set it aside. And so I was collecting, and, and every once in a while, one would hit a mark to where I would say, I'm going to bring this to the stage. And I would kind of road test them at various times. And even, and then people would come to me afterwards and ask about them. And I would give them, I would give them names just so that, you know, in France, say, you know, the, the promoter or, or my manager would come to me and say, you know, you, you have to give that song a name because, you know, you get paid for playing it over here kind of thing. I mean, it was, there were various reasons why I'd need to give things names. So I would put names on them, but knowing that they were kind of in the back of my head, that they were place placeholders for the, for, for something, something else. Does that explain why almost all the titles are, cities some of them are regions and one of them is a country but they are all are locations is that why they have those names that's that's correct you know about midway once i was focused on making a lap steel record i wasn't sure how it was going to come to life i've got a collection of lap steels and i was i had every intention of bringing them all the, my 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 aces into the studio and having it be a celebration of my favorite lap steels. That was my original intention. And they were individual pieces. But the reason it was taking me so long is because to record the record itself, one, because I didn't feel I had enough material along the way until now. But another reason was I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to bring it to life other than bringing in the collection and, and setting sail on, on getting the best takes with the right instruments and finding the best sound of each movement. Then enter in John Monteleone 
and and getting a lap steel guitar made his made a carved top back lap steel again chasing that sound that we hear in our heads and in our hearts and wherever else that resonates from that we pull it out of that really hit the accelerator two things hit the accelerator on this record one of them was meeting john and connecting with john and and john being willing to build an instrument in pursuit of that sound i was hearing another was finishing the book reading and finishing the book uh david foster wallace's infinite jest because during the process of writing this record i finished midway through infinite jest i had to do some research on the book as to how someone could actually accomplish a book like what i was reading in that moment and i went online and saw an interview of him with him where he's he made it clear that infinite jest started as a series of shorter stories and came to the realization that they were one body of work and it was for him to weave them and tie them together and i recognized from that right away that that's what i was trying to do that i these weren't individual compositions but compositions for a bigger piece of music and once once that happened and i had the monteleone built and it sounded even beyond my wildest imagination as far as what i was reaching for i was able to then spend 3 or 4 years finishing this record with that as the as the mm-hmm. as the focus it, it one piece of music where did you record this record i recorded the record well i did two versions of this record jason i did one at capital studios two three day sessions with some some of my favorite musicians and it was produced with percussion upright bass piano deduc and an entire string symphonic orchestra and i had finished the record i was i was very excited about it then i did a gig at the hollywood bowl and the record was done it was i was going to turn it in i hadn't turned it into anti my record label yet and i had a, a summer gig booked at the at the bowl went on stage and in in the middle sometimes at the end of my set i'll do an acoustic song and then sometimes i'll break down in the middle of the set and the hollywood bowl felt like a middle of the set kind of a breakdown so so mid set band exits and i was going to play one of the pieces i was going to play maybe a piece or two from the a side of winter is for lovers most likely um inland empire but i so i so i i started the first notes of the a side of winter is for lovers and it was shockingly silent so i went into the next movement on of of the song and it was still quiet by the time i looked up i had played the complete a side and i'm sure people were making so i didn't hear them and i looked up and they were looking at me and i they were like what were you know it was a, it was a moment one of those odd moments but it it was informative and that after the gig all my closest friends family and relatives and that's mainly what people wanted to talk about it was a fun show it was one of my band's stronger shows in recent memory but all anybody really wanted to talk about was the, was the slide piece and i was so excited to to let everybody know how much time we had put in at capital studios and you know, the symphony and and how much that was how big i had built it and my family and closest friends you know and the older you get hopefully the better you listen <laughs> they said well that's great i'm glad you did that but we're hoping to just get that <laughs> and i went but you haven't even heard what i've done with it and they were like no it doesn't matter and so I, i i took that to heart and i went back and revisited the work and i recorded a version of it just as a just at home in the living room 
and lived with, with it for a while. And I just said, uh, they're right. They're right. I've gone too far. I've gone all the way. I've gone. I, I And I needed to go too far to arrive there, arrive where the yeah. record is. And that was a big, that was, I mean, yeah, there was money spent, time spent, emotions spilled. And I am, a couple of those, a couple of those movements, especially Robert Glasper is playing keyboards on a bunch of it. So they're going to be B-sides. But I went back into the carriage house in Silver Lake where I recorded Get Up, the first Charlie Musselwhite record, and hung up a couple of mics and and that was it. And just played it. Went in for a few days, just played it front to back, front to back, front to back till we got the right right ones. You, you mentioned And I don't mean to ramble. I don't mean to ramble on you, but this is the this is the place for rambling. This is the place. All right. Uh, All right. You mentioned that you were you had this idea going into this project of pulling out your aces and getting a, a, a greatest hits of your of your lap steals. Was it always acoustic from the get-go? It was going to be acoustic and electric, but very ambient electric. You know, clean Fender, a Vibrolux, Princeton, Princeton's. And how did these pieces feel to you differently between acoustic and electric? Because those are very different kind of sonic landscapes to kind of play in. How did the, how did the pieces very- feel different? Once, once the Monteleone was done, I was spending a lot of time on that instrument. Once I had established that the that it was going to be one movement, I still hadn't come to the conclusion that I was going to use one instrument. I still figured I would find a way to segue from instrument to instrument cohesively, whether that be electric or acoustic. But when I got into the studio, Sheldon Gomberg, the engineer and producer, he just Every time I would go to another instrument, and I, I brought I brought the whole family in, electric, acoustic, Weisenborns, handmade Italian electrics, um, long scale, uh, long scale Fender, uh, you know the Fender lap, the cream colored Fender lap steel. I mean, I just brought in everything I had that I knew sounded great, having collected lap steels all my adult life. I just brought brought the the A team in. But every time I shifted gears from the Monteleone, my producer engineer would just say, you may want to just go back to that guitar. So I didn't. And that's why I was having that's why I don't have a producer credit on this, because Sheldon placed the mics. Sheldon, I, I played it, but Sheldon brought it sonically to life and really guided, guided, the, steered the ship as far as what instrument I ended up on. And I again, I love all my instruments equally. I love the Weisenborn. I love Weisenborns. I love the, my my electrics, my Asher lap steels. I have a signature guitar. You know, why wouldn't I use that? Plenty of ego there, right? Um, but every time I would take a left turn from the Monteleone, he'd he'd kindly request <laughs> I bring that back in. And the next, and then and then it was clear. It's one piece of music. It should be one guitar. Well, it reminded me also, Ben, of uh, when I listened to Segovia. The music is very different. But these old recordings of Segovia, you can just you can hear the tape hiss. I mean, you know, the little tape head warble and stuff like that. I mean, it, these are old, old recordings. But this was back in a day when people played a guitar. You know, yeah. I don't know what, yeah, what guitar he was playing. You know, but uh, Hauser or something. You know, Hauser or Ramirez, sure. Yeah, but there he was. Each piece of music was a different piece of music, but there was his guitar. 
And that yeah. was the, the sonic, you know, his signature was his heart and his fingers and his, his touch, but this other th signature was this guitar running through, you know, and they probably used the same mic. There wasn't a whole lot of sonic yeah. option, you know? Andy, that, that, was, that was the framework that became the framework for the record. Once it was clear that we were, it was going to be one guitar. It was it, be, it, it, it was obvious with what you're saying. I was what you were saying was the exact logic we were applying to the process. It's one piece of music you use the guitar. Yeah, yeah. I want to read you something that you said. Uh, we, we did a 1999 cover story for Guitar Player Magazine, and we'll get into that in some of the other segments in this next <laughs> podcast. Um, because it was the magical. honor of a lifetime, by the way. That was, yeah. <laughs> it was a lifetime experience for me. But you were, this was, um, you were talking about making records. Okay. Quote, make no mistake about it. Making a good record is pure, unadulterated pain. If you fall and break your leg, that's pain. But I'm telling you, the phase between pain and death, that's making a good record. It's extreme. End quote. I'll stand behind that. I mean, just the, I yep. mean, Capitol Studios is not cheap. Like no. you said, having bringing those players in is not Amen. cheap. And you you had the bravery to push that aside and start with a blank slate. I mean, the slide guitar got lost in the production. It became less less singular, less of less of a contribution, less of a conversation, and it just it 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 wasn't me. You know, I mean, it, it would have, it, it's cool. And I'm glad we've got these pieces for the B-sides because they're cooking and I can't wait to get them to you. I'll hang up and send them to you both. But it, it wasn't, uh, what wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it, it, it didn't, it didn't hold my entire life in it like this one does. I, you know, this is the kind of record where I, I, I don't need to make another record, you know, from this one. I'm going to make more records, but I don't need to. Because this is the record I'd always wanted to make, and the in it's yeah, yeah. I've seen you in concert, and, and even in the little interludes between songs, whether on electric or acoustic, those times when it's just kind of you at the instrument, that's that's the sound of Ben Harper to me. You know? uh, right. That you, what you're saying is what is being reflected back to me from from friends and fans and family and people who I don't often hear from. Sometimes when I release records, I mean, I'm, I'm really hearing from people who are so near and dear to me around the world about this record. You have to be hardened in the business and in music because you put, you know, you can be ahead of it. You can be behind it. You can be right on time with it. And it really isn't about what people say as much as what, how you feel about what you do. But with a record that is this intimate, it is a much softer landing to have it be welcomed with open arms. You know, and I and I can take the hits either way, but it it's this feels different. It felt different recording it, having stripped it back to just me and an instrument. I've never considered myself a brave artist or a cowardice artist. I've just always followed what I feel. But I do feel pulling everything off was. I mean, it's something I could put at the feet, like I'd love to put this record at the feet of Jerry Douglas, you know, or Lindley or Ry Cooter or, or people who, Rob Ikes, you know, my personal heroes and 
and and say thank you to them. You know, I you know it's because we're all you know in in Derek Trucks. I mean, these are people who I spend a lot of time listening to and just have immeasurable admiration for. And I, it's a record I could I can just hey you know in your spare time when you're doing dishes you know you dig it kind of thing and i hadn't made my my i hadn't i felt like i hadn't made my my contribution on that instrument i'd spent my whole life playing it and it took me till i was 50 years old to actually have have it ready i couldn't have made this a day sooner well like you said it took you that long just to get the material together yeah mm-hmm. yeah so to get a bit into the nuts and bolts, did you experiment with different tunings on these songs, or did you stick to one? I stuck to one. When I session with people, I do a lot. I do a lot of like C six because it just fits everything anytime with what where people are at. I just go C six and then find it. Sometimes I'll use the you know the, the lat capo and just and, and and just it just makes things fast. But in listening to a lot of classical compositions and even premier guitarists who I admire like Sabikas or Narciso Yepes or Andre Segovia or John Fahey. There's no reason a classical composition by Bach can be in one key for 30 minutes and and a lap steel composition can't do the same thing. So I, I just tuned to my favorite and go-to tuning, which is D-A-D, F-sharp, A-D. You've changed it from 1999. When I sat with you in your house, and I believe it was in Silver Lake when the, the day one yep. of our experience, and you played the Weissenborn, yeah. it was D A D D A D. You had the double D's right down the middle. Yeah, I've always had that drone. Yeah, the drone I, I have on lock as well. But for think for early work like like Pleasure and Pain and Mama's Got a Girlfriend way back in the day, and and certain and, and a lot of the early instrumental stuff like. Um, Eleventh uh, Commandment on the on the mm. Blind Boys of Alabama record, and Paris Sunrise Seven that was on on uh, another instrumental lap steel piece on Lifeline. Mm-hmm. You, you got to have that third in there just to to for the for the uh, the you know because you got the minor fall but you need the major lift right like Leonard said. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, well that right. uh, I highly encourage everybody to go check out Winter Is for Lovers, which will be out this October. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Ben's going to be here all week. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 